I know at least one person does hate us for yes. showing that, but yeah. that's going to happen. That's yeah. how we know we're doing our jobs, <laughs> right? If you don't know who he is, you've seen him in a hundred movies. He's that guy that makes you think he might be Jack Nicholson's stoned cousin. <laughs> um. When this came out, I was a little skeptical. This movie kicks ass. It really does. And welcome. We are back for Fright Club Live at Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome. Yay. In front of another great Gateway crowd. And just minutes ago, well, by the way, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. And just minutes ago on the way in here, we got Fright Clubber number one, John, gave us a great piece of news. It's our eighth anniversary. We eight did our, years. We did our first Fright Club Live. January of 2014, we showed Severance. And it That's was how we kicked it off. John, was it was it was a blizzard? Wasn't it was it? a blizzard. The weather yeah. was horrible. Was horrible. And we had John and what three other people show up, <laughs> something like that. But it started us on our way. It did. And, uh, that's great. Eight years of it, and it's uh, it's only gotten gotten more fun thanks to you guys. So this episode tonight is fun. First of all, because we had a great happy hour. Thanks to all the great swag we got for the new Scream movie from Ally. Yes. Alexa and the team at Ally, and they're here tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, we got a bunch of uh, shirts and stickers for Scream, the brand new movie that comes out. Well, as we tape this, it comes out tomorrow. Yes. Right? And we got to see it the other night. We did. We loved it. You're going to have a ball. You are. You're you going to really have are. a ball. I mean, if you're a fan of this franchise, it's it's everything. It's like everything that the franchise ever did well. It's so much fun. It's just a, an absolute blast. And it's bloody. It is bloody. It's it's really bloody. I know that seems kind of funny to say because they've all been bloody and are, but this one was bloodier than I expected, mm. really. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to have a ball with it. So go see Scream. And, again, thanks for all the swag. And congrats, congrats to everybody. That won, and also, I know we had some people come to Happy Hour that didn't get a button. We got plenty down here. If you want to grab a button, come on down. We'll give you one. And, uh, and also, as usual, when we do a Fright Club Live, uh, come on down after the movie and give us your thoughts because uh, I'm going to really be interested in, in what you think of this one as we talk about addiction horror. Yes, but before we get into that, I want to thank everybody who commented on last. So the last one was the best horror movies of 2021. And we did get a lot of complaints. We did not get a lot of complaints. <laughs> and and as I said in our podcast, I expected us to because we did not care for Malignant. So it did not right. make our list. And I thought people are going to be so mad about that. But no, actually, Seth made a, gr- a great point. We forgot to even mention the Fear Street series. And we did enjoy that. Very much. We really yeah. did. If, if nothing else, the yeah. soundtracks, those soundtracks, especially from the like, 1990s one, that soundtrack Fantastic. was Fantastic. Yeah, really no, they enjoyed. They were super fun. They how, really, did we, really, how did we forget to mention that? I don't that. know. Um, Melissa loved both number one and two. She was all on board with that. And Richard agreed about Candyman and Titan. Yeah, because uh, number one was St. Maude and number two was Candyman. Yes. So that's solid. Yeah, yeah that's that very solid. solid. And then um, Wiener and Richard picked up Psycho Gorman based on our... Recommendations. Uh, Psycho Gorman. So, that, yeah, that's that a is great movie. Just, just that's, a ton of that's fun. That's the most fun. That yeah. is such a fun movie. All right, so we're talking about addiction horror, and this was one I know it, we talked about last time that this was supposed to be the movie, horror movies that are old enough to drink, but right now with the, you know, the movie atmosphere, the movie situation with distributors and stuff is a little bit... A little bit upended, so we couldn't get any of the movies that we were uh, we were hoping to show, and that's you know that's it's going to happen in a, in a in the world events that we're living through right now. But we were able to get this movie tonight, so we had to pivot and pick a new subject, and Hope was right on it. 
Yeah, I was actually, I mean, this is a movie that we had always been interested in showing. It's Abel Ferrara, who's an incredibly bizarre and fascinating filmmaker. All of his movies, even though some of them I don't care for, I, I, I see everything he does. It's, it's always, I'm always going to watch anything Abel Ferrara does. And this one is black and white, and it's just gorgeous. And the cast, my God, the cast in this movie, including, of course, Christopher Walken, who doesn't show up for a while, and when he does, it's like, pow! So we're not going to talk too much about it, of course, it's- but... We're excited to get to show it's it. It's sort of fitting that it's black and white because we talked about a lot toward the end of last year how the year in cinema last year in all genres, one of the prevailing themes was black and white yeah, movies. Yeah, there are some gorgeous black and yeah, white movies. Yeah, so it seems very uh, appropriate that we're doing a black and white movie tonight. So anyway, that is how we got on the topic, and we are definitely going to do movies that are old enough to drink probably next time. Probably next when time. When we do the studio right. the studio version next time out. But, but there, are, there are a lot. I mean, you know, a horror movie is often, especially like sort of a monster movie, they'll take a monster movie and it'll become a, a metaphor for something, and addiction is a pretty common metaphor um, for horror movies. There are a couple that are just, I say, thrillers more than horror right. that are worth mentioning bug oh my god that is such a great movie uh and and it's clearly it's all about addiction and it is it is well well worth seeing naked lunch that's even better <laughs> oh my god yeah. so if you haven't seen naked lunch what up <laughs> watch naked lunch right away there's another one toad road which uh, you know you'll know like 10 minutes in if you hate it don't watch the rest of it. But I mean, you know, because it definitely has a specific vibe that it never shakes. If you hate it in the first 10 minutes, don't finish it. But I enjoyed it. Uh, so those are the ones that are not really horror. Some of the other ones that are really worth watching, Lovely Molly, if you haven't seen that, that is a that is a great one. We Are the Flesh. Uh, you probably saw it here. And if you don't hate me because we showed it here, thank you. Uh, but I know at least one person does hate us for yes. showing that. But yeah. that's going to happen. That's yeah. how we know we're doing our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Also, uh, Bliss, which yeah. a lot of people liked a yeah. few years ago. Yeah, uh, Bliss is a good one. Kronos, which is much more metaphorical, but I think uh, it's a brilliant, incredible, great. And even movie. there's a lot of uh, a theme of addiction in Dr. Sleep. Right, alcoholism, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, which is well worth seeing. So those are a few to uh, mention. Uh, oh, and also one that almost made the list because it's so much about addiction, but we just couldn't call it horror. It was Requiem for a Dream. Right. I know. You're groaning because it's such a happy-go-lucky love story, isn't it? That's the thing. It's, I, it really is. To me, it's a horror film. I mean, I'm horrified by that film. <laughs> I'm horrified by that film. Yeah, you, you could certainly make that case. But we went with another one, which is uh, comes in at number five, which is a, sort of the same, but a little bit more horrific. And this is from 2009 on our uh, top five of addiction horror. This is an American drug dealer living in Tokyo. Uh, he's betrayed by his best friend and killed in a drug deal. His soul, observing the repercussions of his death, seeks resurrection. Enter the void. Well, this is that from that mischievous scamp, Gaspar Noe. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I remember when I first saw this, back when we were writing for the other paper, and it was a daytime screening. And uh, it was me and uh, six or seven other critics in this big theater. I think it was here at the Gateway. And this is such a punishing film. I mean, very few films make me feel physically beaten up by the end. But I remember when it was over, there was just this silence. And I just said loudly from the back row, Look, we can't all use the phrase feel good movie of the year, okay? <laughs> and nobody laughed at that line. <laughs> because this is just so punishing, but is so steeped in addiction. And it's all 
um, subjective camera from the point of view of, of the main character. And Gaspar Noe has said that he saw the movie Lady in the Lake uh, from 1946 nice, yeah. when, he was, uh, when he was in his early 20s that is shot that way. And it had such a, a big effect on him that uh, he does the same thing in this movie with the character Oscar uh, as he die, he's, he's shot in this drug raid. And then the camera just floats throughout all these different scenarios and set pieces um, and some of them are just very, very depraved. Depraved. I mean, if you haven't seen penis vision or vagina rama <laughs> shots, you'll see him in this movie. And, and it, it has these just as Gaspar Noe likes to do these extended, way, way too long scenes. Uh, one of them very reminiscent of all the uh, entering the black hole in 2001, which is the colors. It just goes on and on and on. For my money, and I'm a fan of Gaspar Noe, I like to see everything he does. This one is a, just a bit too self-absorbed. It just goes on for so long, and he just, sometimes it's excess for the sake of excess. Because it's also over three hours long. Yeah. And that's the thing about Gaspar Noe. I mean, you know, y you need to get a medal if you can sit through, and I also think he's a brilliant filmmaker, but to sit through it for three hours, that's... That is punishing. We go back and forth as to which is the more horrifying, punishing film, this one or Irreversible. Um, and um, <sighs> Irreversible is the most difficult film I've ever watched, ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, but, yeah, but, he's but not a happy-go-lucky The thing about Irreversible is it's really just those two scenes. Uh, you know what? That, I'll take that one scene over everything else he's yeah, ever done. Yeah, I, I got you. That's really, it's really nasty. And this one has it just throughout the entire movie. But anyway, <laughs> it's so steeped in, in addiction that uh, we had to put it on the list. Gaspar Noe himself describes it as a psychedelic melodrama. Uh, I might go a little bit deeper than that, but that is uh, 2009. <laughs> if you haven't seen it and want to experience it for yourself, get ready. That is Enter the Void. Gird your loins. <laughs> <laughs> Moving up to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moving up to number four. This is from 1995, and it's set in a gritty real-life New York City as alcoholic Sam meets up with a modern-day succubus who marks him and controls his will. As his world unravels, he slowly figures out what is happening and has to figure out what to do. This is called Habit. From New York filmmaker Larry Fessenden, director of underground classics, experienced movers, The Rocket Movie, Hollow Venus, and No Telling. Comes a tale of love and delirium under New York's autumn nights. Aren't you going to invite me in? This is not in trouble. Sam! What is transpiring between you and Anna that's making you so crazy? Let me tell you this, man. Habit. See it in a darkened theater. It's not possible. Sam. I love Larry Fessenden. I'm a massive, massive fan. If you don't know who he is, you've seen him in a movies he's that guy that makes you think he might be jack nicholson's stoned cousin <laughs> um i love this movie as well and and it's actually incredibly similar i think to the addiction the movie we're going to show today so if you sort of took the addiction and and drained it of all of its pretension you would have the habit and i don't mean that as a knock but you'll see it you'll understand what i mean when you watch it i think that this movie is and and it is about alcoholism and it's, it's one of, I think, the very best metaphorical films on alcoholism that you'll find. And also one of the things that I love about it is it's so clearly made on no money that, for one thing, Larry Fessenden, he had lost several of his teeth. 
and he couldn't afford to get it fixed. So inexplicably, the lead, the romantic lead in this movie, is missing some of his front teeth. It's very funny, but it goes with the character who is just not really taking good care of himself. Yeah, Larry Fessenden, you're right. He's, he's always a favorite. This movie, uh, as you might guess with the budget, was shot in 45 days uh, over a three-month period. And uh, I loved in that trailer, and that's really the only, it's kind of a weird trailer. It's the only trailer we could find. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. But as, as film critics, I love that they quote so many film critics. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's maybe an inside joke. But, uh, yeah, Larry Fessenden is, he's such an interesting character. He does remind you of Jack Nicholson. He reminds you of somebody. Is he doing a Jack Nicholson impression? <laughs> but he's really not. No. Uh, he, he's able to carve out his own, his own persona, and most of the time he's, an actor here, but here he's both the writer and the director. Yeah, he is. And and actually, almost all of the films that he has made are really very much worth seeing. I mean, I think he's he's a fascinating sort of underground, not mm -hmm. even just indie, but underground filmmaker. But I think most people agree this is his best film. And this is from 1995, Habit, number four on our list of addiction horror. And, ooh, we got to get moving. Let's move up to number three. This is the one we're going to show tonight, also from 1995. A New York philosophy grad student turns into a vampire after getting bitten by one and then tries to come to terms with her new lifestyle and frequent craving for human blood. It is the addiction. You can never get enough, can you? But you learn to control it. You learn, like the Tibetans, to survive on a little. There is a dual nature to the addiction. It satisfies the hunger, which evil engenders. But it also dulls our perception, so we are helped to forget how ill we really are. We drink to escape the fact we're alcoholics. We're not evil because of the evil we do, but we do evil because we are evil. What would you like to confess? God, forgive me. I think, as you rightly already pointed out, this sort of metaphor is nothing new for horror movies, but I'm always interested if Abel Ferrara's name is uh, attached to it, because if you've seen any of his movies, uh, he can he can go there. Yeah. Unapologetically. Yes. And this is very definitely an Abel Ferrara movie. And it's, it's just, I mean, the cast is crazy great, as I, as I said. And we're not going to talk a lot about the movie, but for it's set in 1995. And I now for a lot of people, I don't know, Pearl Jam is 95 to you, Nirvana, maybe Scream is 90, 1990s. Lily Taylor is the 90s to me, and she just <laughs> personifies the 90s for me in this movie. I love her so much. But it's not just her. I mean, the whole cast is great. And it's so funny because with her run-in on the streets with Annabella Sciorra, it always makes me think of uh, Vampire's Kiss with Nicolas Cage and Jennifer Beals, and which is the opposite film from this. It's the opposite <laughs> yes, it film from this, but it's the, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> are just such great movies about vampires that I uh, it makes me happy anytime anything reminds me of vampires. And uh, sharp-eyed Sopranos fans are going to uh, going to notice Edie Falco, Michael Imperioli, and Annabella Sciorra all in this movie. Right. How many people have seen it already? Oh, One. Nice. Nice. I love that. I do too. I love that. Oh well, yay! Be sure to come down after, please. I'd love to get your comments uh, on the podcast of what you think uh, when we're done here. That is fantastic. Uh, we've got mostly a house full of people that haven't seen it yet. So so we'll just move on because we don't want to spoil a thing. Nope. 82 minutes later. Raise your hand if you've seen any other Abel Ferrara film. This is an Abel Ferrara film. It, it for sure is. It is. It strikes me as a little more thoughtful than something like Bad Lieutenant. Uh, you know, it's certainly draped in a lot more philosophy. First of all, it, it's striking 
we've talked about black and white right yeah. from the right from the opening minutes. It's it's striking the what he does with light. Yes. And, uh, oh yeah, with Annabella Sciorra uh, attacks her in the yeah. little alleyway there. Beautiful. Oh, that looks gorgeous. Yeah, it's got multiple metaphors going on. Obviously, yes. you've got the addiction and, and the uh, also the, war. The blood. That's the, a big. Yeah. One. But it's it's very clearly drawing a correlation between the bloodlust of vampires and the bloodlust of mankind. Yeah. Uh, with all the Holocaust references and the, and the deeply uh, seated philosophies, um, which gets a little more overt toward the end. But uh, it's really interesting. I think for, for him, I, I found it very thoughtful for, for one of his films. Well, I think the first thing that's clear is that it's the uh, the third in those great Christopher Walken uh, sort of extended cameos from the 90s with true romance and Pulp Fiction. It's just he shows up halfway through the movie and just steals the entire thing with just that swagger and cool that Christopher Walken had. It's like maybe the only guy in middle age that had that sort of swagger and cool. So I, I love that for one. And the second it, is it feels like for Ferrara's filmography, it feels like a really transition point from that, that sort of more grindhousey type of, you know, grimy crime slash grind you know grindhouse film that he was known for doing into more of those thoughtful you know movies that he ends up doing more more now like you know Pasolini and, and you know and things like that yeah 100 percent agree with that I think that um I think this was really the f- the first film that was a transition for him from things like Ms. 45 and Driller Killer but also it is the same screenwriter it's the same he worked with the same writer for until I think 2010 and uh, I think that they moved nicely from, as you say, Grindhouse, and, and then they kind of moved into, like, crime dramas. But this was the first one that was, I feel like, very similar to the same kinds of really loose, almost sort of hypnotic uh, narratives that he, he's doing now, um, even with a, a completely different screenwriter. And, and it, it is, as you said, George, a lot more thoughtful, I think, than... Most of what we had seen before this, he had already done Bad Lieutenant, which was um, maybe <laughs> sort of the high water mark for him, um, except for me because Harvey Keitel reminds me of my dad. So that movie was really traumatic for me. But <laughs> <laughs> but I love I love so much about this movie. Also, am I wrong? Is this the first time I can remember Christopher Walken's hair being in his face, right? <laughs> a lot. It was in his face a lot. It was. Normally, it's just all it's crazy up in the air, but it almost looked like a wig there at the end when it was hanging in his face. Well, it's a thinker. It makes you, it's just, it. if you go in for straight horror, it's not your cup of tea. But if you go in wanting to really think about it and interpret everything, yeah, it's what you want because it throws a lot of ideas at you. So it's, it takes a while to absorb it all. The co-star of the movie is New York City. Yeah, it really is. It's very much in New York, as, as a lot of his films are. Um, one of the things I like, again, I mean, it reminds me of a lot of other films that came later. Society, that's probably a weird oh, movie yeah. to compare this to. No, no, no. But the the party after, you know, after yes. the PhD, it, it, remi- it always has. It reminds me so much of Society. Okay, I'm going to be the fly in the ointment here. I thought it looked great. I thought it looked wonderful, 100% in. I thought all the actors are great. Me personally, I thought all the philosophy stuff was very heavy-handed and almost laughable. It was. Uh, I agree with you. It was, uh, as I said, uh, where it's very pretentious. And and um, I think the first time I saw it, I thought it was a comment on that, right? Like, we want all these people to die. And then... The more Ferrara films like post 
driller killer that I saw, the more I thought, oh, I think that's kind of him. I think maybe <laughs> he's kind of really super pretentious. So now it's almost like, oh, like now it's almost like adorable to me. But it, it's, it's, it's funny, like the, the gamut that I ran, because originally I thought this is a comment on dumbass, annoying PhD candidates. And then now I think, I don't think it was. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree, especially toward the last act, I, uh, I would say. But I think, I think you make a good point, because especially toward the end, it gets a little bit too heavy. I think they also kind of tried to lean heavily into, is this actually happening? Is this a dream? Is it, it the, the, the person died at the beginning and this is all afterwards? It really, like, it really leaned heavily into that to try to fool you into thinking one way or the other. A particular brand of horror film I really like are the ones where you don't know the whole film whether or not the lead character is dead. Uh, and, and, you know, you don't get that in, like, rom-coms. Like, that's exclusively really the territory well, for Well, and any time drug abuse is involved, yeah, exactly. then you have an unreliable narrator yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, I, I think that that's a, a, a fun sort of exploration in this one. And, yeah. I, and I also love how, you know, the first her first victim... Out of nowhere, she has a syringe. I don't know where she got the syringe, right? But, you know, she's this drunk, passed-out homeless guy. He's going to be fine. Like, I actually like that. And then later on, she thought, fuck it. I'm just going to tear the throat out of my professor. Mm -hmm. Who hasn't wanted to do that? Um, <laughs> I like how it works out. And then at the end, you know, at the party, they're yeah. all there except the homeless guy because he's apparently fine. I mean, as fine as you can be as a homeless guy in New York. But I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that party went off the rails. It did. Um Good comments, though. That is number three from 95, The Addiction. Moving up to number two. Boy, we've talked about this a few times. From 2013, five friends head to a remote cabin where the discovery of a Book of the Dead leads them to unwittingly summon up demons living in the nearby woods. The 2013 version of Evil Dead. You are all going to die tonight. I read a passage from that book. Oh, my God! It's it's interesting. We were talking a little bit earlier in happy hour about the times when Hope and I disagree on movies. And even though I love Bruce Campbell, I'm not the biggest fan of the original Evil Dead 1 and not 2. Not so the biggest fan. One of us loves all Evil Dead so movies. So when this came one out... One of us loves one. When, when this came out, I was a little skeptical. This <laughs> movie kicks ass. It really does. No. I love this movie. I, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's so bloody, obviously. But I just think he does everything right about uh, about rebooting or reigniting this franchise. I loved it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's great. A lot of uh, a lot of diehard fans did not, and I uh, I am a diehard fan, so I'm not sure why that is. I thought this was a crazy great movie. We had no idea how how great a director Fetty Alvarez was until this, and of course he went on to do the the Don't Breathe films. Yeah. with star right uh, Jane Levy, and. She, Mia, that's the, the, the sort of overarching concept here is not just a bunch of buddies who go into, you know, spend the weekend in, in a cabin from Michigan State. But uh, <laughs> they're going because Mia needs to 
spend some time to help her get over her addiction. And right. so that really, to me, it gives the whole film a much better vehicle for every crazy ass thing that happens. Mm-hmm. I love the way I love the way that they reconceptualize all the the sort of touchstones from the from the film series. Because the film series has always done that. Evil Dead 2 is really just a remake of Evil Dead with an extra character in it. That's really all it is. So I love that they took that same concept. They just kept sort of reworking the same ideas, but with this new kind of strategy, this new uh, sort of vehicle for why they were there and why this was going on. And also an uncredited Diablo Cody, Oscar-winning screenwriter Diablo Cody, I think helped a great deal in making this movie as just pithy and fun as it was. And I think if you watch it, especially if you watch it more than once, you can sort of pick out, oh, I bet that. It, she wrote that. S- yeah, certain things have a Diablo Cody kind of ring to them. But, uh, and can we get an amen for mostly practical effects yeah. as well? Yeah. Uh, love them. Yes. Yeah. You know, it just, it makes such a difference. And yeah, I, I, I thought this movie just <laughs> just right. was, just blew me away. It rained blood. <laughs> it did. I don't know what more you want. <laughs> it did. Evil Dead from 2013. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, all the blood it did. It, it rained blood. Yep. And it, is that a bad thing? So, Never. Uh, that's number two on our list of addiction horror. Moving up to number one. This is from 2012. And it's from a couple of our favorite filmmakers who've come out here just in the last 10 years. Uh, a man imprisons his estranged junkie friend in an isolated cabin in the boonies of San Diego to force him through a week of sobriety. But the events of that week are being mysteriously manipulated. It's resolution. Dude, you keep coming here with these recordings and these stupid stories about how you found them, and you're acting weird. I think someone might be messing with us. Maybe you have split personalities and you're leaving each other gifts for you to find. Did you see that? that? What? What? That. That. That's satellites. They watch everything. What's going on, Mike? If there is something, it is none of these things. (laughs) We need to leave before they get here. What would convince you that I'm not crazy? We showed this one. I love this movie. Yeah. I, I, I love these guys, as you said, uh, um, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Yep. And they've done two films that are really just about drug use, this one and also Synchronic, which I don't like as well as their other films. Uh, they also did The Endless, which is more or less kind of a sequel. It's in the same universe as this movie. Mm-hmm. And they did Spring, which is a, a like a creature feature. Watch it. Anyway, they're great. I remember this is one of the last movies I reviewed for the other paper before they shut it down back in the days of newspapers, kids. Uh, <laughs> and I went in absolutely cold. Didn't know. Oh, just review this movie called Resolution. Just cold. And uh, th- this this movie really, really impressed me on on where it went. And of course, it it starts with yeah, the, they have to uh, dry this guy out by chaining him up. And I was surprised how funny it was as well. It's very funny. It is incredibly funny, especially the character that gets chained up. Yeah. Um, and, and it turns into something a lot more than a story about sort of a drug intervention, but that is how it starts. And I think that in a lot of these films, it's the, the idea of drug use, like in, in Midsummer. The idea of drug use makes you understand why the characters are so slow to pick up on how fucked up everything is. You know, it's like, 
or I'm just high and I'm not really understanding these <laughs> things very well. And I think that they use that to great effect here because you've got the two characters, one who just keeps sort of telling the other guy he's wrong and one who's like, no, I'm totally sober and this is definitely not supposed to happen right now. But I think they make great use of that sort of uh, pairing in this movie. And then uh, since we were just talking about Evil Dead, if you uh, look closely, a hand-drawn picture of the front cover of the Necronomicon uh, can be seen hanging on the wall right to the right of the mattress. Well, that just makes beautiful art. It does. It does. <laughs> but it gets, even though it is funny early on because he says such funny things to try to you know, deal with the situation being chained up, the more it goes on, it gets really creepy. Very creepy. You know, yeah, when they start creepy. seeing on the video, they start seeing the things that are going to happen and someone's watching them and someone can tell the future. And then the guy from the, the neighboring uh, village comes in and then it's the whole thing is just very, very creepy leading to a, a really startling and, for me, unexpected finale, Yes, I think. Uh, and then, of course, as you mentioned, if you've seen The Endless, that one draws into this universe in a very, very cool and, and clever way. So, yeah, uh, even though I agree... And sad, kind of. Yeah, kind of a sad yeah, way, yeah. Yeah, even though I agree Synchronic was, was sort of a, a little bit of a step back, didn't enjoy it as much, still always look forward to what these guys, uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, are going to do. Yep. And uh, yeah, we definitely showed this one and uh, enjoyed it a few years ago. Resolution number one on our list of addiction, horror, and oh, we're up against the clock, so let's uh, let's we're get clearly at late. It. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so we're going to show um, that the hab the we're going to show the addiction. And please, since almost everyone has not seen it, please come down afterwards. Uh, I want to get your uh, reactions. Incorporate that into the podcast. And if you so. are a size medium, let us know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do have some uh, some scream <laughs> and some scream T-shirts, and we have uh, some buttons too. If you haven't got a button, come down. But uh, as we said, next time out, it's going to be the studio recording, the studio version of Fright Club, and we're going to do horror movies that are old enough to drink. That's right. So that'll be in a couple of weeks. But this will be all. This podcast will be all edited and ready to roll probably on Monday. So look for it on your uh, usual outlets. And you can find us, of course, always keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. It's at Fright Club Pod. And Instagram and Facebook, we're at Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website is madwolf.com. So enjoy the movie. And until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay